And again, I welcome everybody uh, for the sake of recording the, the Carolina Bible Group Bible Study Voice Room. Uh, again, today we'll be continuing our study in our series that we've entitled Prayer Through the Dispensations. And the study number for today will be 35. Uh, study number 35, and it's the 10th of January, 2021. I can't believe we're 10 days in already. It, it seems like we're just going to blink. And, uh, 2021 is going to be gone. And, uh, that seems like the way time kind of works anymore for me. <coughs> but anyway, it is, uh, I do want to welcome you again to our study. That's the way it and goes when you get older. That's a fact. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> to note again, as we, uh, continue moving through this, uh, our study purpose, our purpose in all this is to look at prayer in the scriptures and how it's used in different dispensations relative to mankind and our communion with our Creator. Our Creator God has not left us without a way uh, to communicate with Him directly and to bring our uh, petitions to Him uh, directly in our uh, thanks and our love and our uh, humbleness and uh, what He's done for us through His Son. He hasn't left us without a way to express uh, ourselves to him and that that's important and uh, God knew that we would need this when he created us I do believe and and gave us the opportunity to accept his son he knew that mankind would need a uh, a communication vehicle and that to me that's what prayer is and that's what our study is centered in is prayer from from mankind to our creator uh, there's lots of Lots of words, especially in the Old Testament, for uh, like I pray thee or I beseech thee, uh, which is literally kind of what that means. There's a lot of words where men would would beseech or uh, ask something of another man. But what we're interested in in this particular study is how man reaches out to God. And in a lot of cases, or in all cases, how God reaches back. That, that's uh, That's the important thing. Uh, last week, for our last study, last week we, we kept on moving with our study of prayer in the kingdom dispensation. Now we started out, um, okay, Ron and Pam can't hear. Can the rest of you hear? Well, Tony says yes, okay. I guess, uh, sound okay? May want to let them know that, uh, sometimes Pal Talk does that. They'll, yeah, they'll need to, they'll definitely need to reboot. Apologize for that, but that's a pal talk thing that we have absolutely no control over. But we're sort of at their mercy, as always. Uh, more big tech stuff to deal with, <laughs> evidently. So, yeah, I appreciate that, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep moving. Um, so last week we kept moving with our study of prayer in the kingdom dispensation scriptures. Uh, by giving over the three mentions of pray or prayer in the first epistle to the Corinthians uh, in chapter 14. And we started out by looking at prayer in the Old Testament, if you're just picking up with us today, and how it was carried out, what the results of the prayers were, uh, with respect to God speaking back to the one who was praying or working out that which was being prayed for. We went through those occurrences in the Old Testament, and now we've moved over into the New Testament. We went through the 
the instances when in the Gospels where the Lord was on the earth in the flesh, where Christ himself prayed uh, to the Father, uh, and the Father's response, of course, to those prayers, uh, early in the kingdom dispensation. Now we're in the what I call the X period of the kingdom dispensation, the reoffer of the kingdom to the nation of Israel, uh, with the caveat of after Acts 10, the Gentiles being grafted in to provoke Israel to jealousy, and that's what was that's what was basically taking place during the Acts period, depending on where you're reading. If you're reading before chapter 10, uh, the Gentiles were not being grafted in at that time. They still at that time literally had to be proselyted in to become part of Israel. But after that, after Acts 10, that was no longer the case. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit came right down on them. Peter witnessed it, Cornelius and his family, as you'll remember. He witnessed the Holy Spirit come down, and the gifts of the Spirit went into the Gentiles, or uh, the Gentiles were able to perform the gifts of the Spirit just like the Israelites were, just like the Jews were. So <clears throat> Peter even made the note that God sees no difference now between us and them. And so after that point uh, in the Acts period, after that point of the kingdom dispensation, uh, the Gentiles are being brought in, and we looked at prayer through this point, and that's where we are right now <clears throat> in our study of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, the, the usages of prayer in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Now, we looked at prayer in 1 Corinthians, and if you want to track Paul's communication, track Paul's relationship with the Corinthian people, you go to Acts 17, Acts 18. It may even, I think, I'm doing this by memory, bleed over into Acts 19. Not sure. I believe it does. If you go and read about, you can read a lot about Paul's stay in Corinth. It was for several years, I believe either three years or four years, maybe three years. He was there. <clears throat> Paul, after that, wrote two letters back to the Corinthian people by means of correction. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That's, that's the different modes that the Holy Spirit uses the inspired scripture to communicate with mankind. Doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture, I believe, falls into one of those categories. Now, actually, I, I got it right by memory. I can't believe it. Sometimes I can do that. Sometimes I can't. In this particular case, it appears I got it right. The usage of the books, I believe, of First and Second Corinthians, they were written as correctional books. There was a lot going on that had been reported back to Paul at this assembly in Corinth, which is a, a Gentile city. This was a Gentile group of believers, uh, and they were, there was a lot that was happening uh, that was not according to godliness, as Paul says. And they needed correcting. And Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to straighten them out. And as we do our 
as we do our study in prayer, you'll note that in, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul used the word pray or prayer or praying or whichever, in 1 Corinthians, let me just go through it. In chapter 7, it's the noun for prayer, prosuke. In chapter 11, it's praying, the verb, prosukamai. In chapter 11, again, prayeth, prosukamai. In 11.13, it's pray, prosukamai. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it's pray, prosukamai, twice, and prayeth once, um, which is, again, prosukamai. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray uh, with the understanding also. That's pray. Uh, it's prosukamai in both occurrences. So... In all of 1 Corinthians, and I want to make this very plain and very obvious to you because I believe we have a, a perfect indicator here that these books were written for correction. It's uh, The word pray there is always either the verb or the noun for prayer to God. In the first correctional book to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul was... The, the Holy Spirit uses the word uh, prosukama or prosuke, either the noun or the verb for praying to God. Now, and we're going to start it today. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today. When you get to 2 Corinthians, the second correctional book that Paul writes to these people, guess what? When you see the word pray or praying, it's not prosukamai or prosuke anymore according to the, the Holy Spirit, according to the concordances that I have. When you get to Second Corinthians, it's deami or diocese, uh, kind of, I guess is how it's pronounced. Uh, one is the noun, one is the verb. And it means, listen to this, damai literally is to beg uh, as binding oneself uh, a petition uh, to beseech, to pray to, or to remake, make requests for. That's damai. Uh Dasis, or uh, deasis, is, I guess how it should be truly pronounced, is sort of the noun of that. And it means a petition, a prayer, a request, a supplication. So one is to do it, and the other one is the noun, which means literally what it is. Uh, one is to beg or to make a, a a beseechment or a petition or a request or a supplication for something. And this means to do it vehemently. It doesn't mean... What I'm saying is that between the, the just the Greek word for pray or prayer that's used is totally different in 2 Corinthians, and get this, there's only one, let's see, one, two, three, four, five words for pray or prayer, praying in the entire book of 2 Corinthians, and guess what? None of the words that are used in the Greek for pray or praying or prayeth. None of them are prosukamai or prosuke. 
it's always the the version that means I'm begging, I'm beseeching, I'm asking vehemently. You see the difference in First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, and that's that emergency mode that Paul is in. I think when he writes Second Corinthians to these believers, is nowhere better captured than it is in the introduction in the companion Bible to Second Corinthians. And I want to read that to you very quickly before we even get started in first in, in the first chapter of Second Corinthians. So turn with me to page. 1727 in the Companion Bible, if you have one. I want to make this painfully clear as we go through. All the words for pray or praying in 2 Corinthians are not the same Greek word that were used in 1 Corinthians. Because why, Ronnie? Because I believe the urgency has increased when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians over 1 Corinthians. Read with me. It says, if you look at the introductory notes in the Companion Bible, it says from various passages we learn that the Apostle Paul wrote this epistle under much pressure of the Spirit. The personal part of his first letter to the Corinthians had had its effect upon the obedient members of the church, uh, says see chapters 2 and 7. And he wrote a second time to comfort such as well as to warn a disobedient element in chapter 13, um, verses 2 and 10. It says it is plain that certain altogether denied his authority, and in chapters 10 through 13, he once more powerfully vindicates his apostleship, especially in connection with false teachings against whom he earnestly warned the Corinthians. It says the specific claim of authority as proceeding from his Lord and Master alone, occupies a large part of, of this epistle, the second epistle to the Corinthians. Hence also the admonition that if he uh, came, he would enforce that authority. He said, the book says there is much to indicate Paul's anxiety for all the churches while in the doctrinal portions occur some unsurpassed presentations of the divine love in Christ. And I believe this is the reason that there's literally different words in the Greek inspired by the Holy Spirit to be used by Paul as he wrote Second Corinthians. It said not only was this church burdened with internal trouble, but they had trials also from without, uh, as it testifies of in chapter 11, just as the Lord himself had foretold in Matthew 24, 9 through 12. In conclusion, Paul held out before them uh, in chapter 4, verse 14, the same hope of resurrection as he proclaimed in his first letter. So the intensity has went up. The scope of the promise hasn't changed. It's still the same hope of resurrection. And we're going to get into that today if I make it to that portion of our lesson. Timothy had been sent to Corinth and had no doubt returned bearing news of the unhappy condition of the church. Thus delivered the first letter, and there being some delay in his return, Paul passed from Troas to Macedonia, where later Titus brought from Corinth, chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 16, such reports as only partially uh, assured the apostle and led him to send the second epistle by the same fellow worker. 
Various explanations have been proposed with regard to the conditions under which the epistle, the epistle was written. Some think that prior to its transmission, the apostle had sent by the hand of Timothy a severe letter which has been lost. Another suggestion is that Paul, hearing of the, uh, of the confusion in the church, made a hasty visit to Corinth from Ephesus and finding that he availed nothing but rather was set at naught, withdrew to another part of Achaia or sent to Macedonia where he penned the second epistle. Still other views on similar lines are put forward, uh, but all that can be said is that there are suppositions of which there is no hint in the epistle. Uh, it says connecting 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 1 and 13 to the apostle had not been uh, back on account of the disorders in the church, uh, whatever may be meant by the third time in 13.1. It said in 1.15 and 16, he is minded to come to them as a second benefit and passing through Macedonia to return to them, which would have been a third time. Uh, it says written from Macedonia not long after Paul's leaving Asia, 1.8, it uh it would not be many months after the dispatch of the first epistle. This was probably A.D. 57 in the winter or the spring of A.D. 58. So I wanted to get that out there because it sort of buttresses what I found in looking and comparing the word pray in the first epistle to the word pray in the second epistle because they're totally different great words. Then the urgency by which Paul's doing it has apparently went up. So turn with me this morning, if you would, uh, and I apologize for the long intro, but I felt it worthwhile. I thought we needed it to kind of get an intro into to what we're dealing with here with this book of correction as we read the second epistle uh, or the usages here in the second epistle uh, to the Corinthians. I want to read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read 1 through 14. I'm going to read all 14 verses, but I want you to note the word prayer, and this is the, uh, the first occurrence of deesis here. This is not prosukamai, it's not prosuke, it's deesis, which means a petition, a request, a supplication. Paul is literally begging these people, and in, in, in some occurrences, he's literally going to beg God. To help them. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 through 14. And our word is going to be in uh, verse 11. I'm sorry, I should have pointed that out. Our word's going to occur in verse 11, but I'm going to read down through 14. So Paul starts off, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about what he's trying to do here in the very first sentence. He's trying to once again establish, as the notes said, his apostleship with this group of believers. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It's not by my will, Paul says, that I'm his apostle. It's by God's will. And Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, he says, Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, 
who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. He wanted to share in the comfort and the peace that he found in God. He said, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, verse 6, which is effected in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be um, comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. He's basically letting them know that whatever happens to him was happening on their behalf at this time. He said, And our hope of you is steadfast. Verse 7, Knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also, uh, and it's understood, be partakers of the consolation. You see that? The sufferings and the glory. The glory does not come without the sufferings. He said, For we would not, brethren, verse 8, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we were despaired even of life, that it got hard to even live a day-to-day life? He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. Even though we had the sentence of death in ourselves, we don't. We got to learn not to trust in ourselves, he said, but in God which raises the dead. Why would death be a big deal if you've got faith in a God that can raise the dead? You see the point? And he's already he's already made that point to them in First Corinthians chapter fifteen very clearly. Remember, you got to read Second Corinthians under the understanding that these same people have probably already read the the first epistle to them that was written to them by Paul. He says in 10, Who delivered so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Our faith is not gone. We still trust, Paul said, that he will deliver us. And then our verse, verse 11. Ye also helping together. You see that? Helping together by prayer. And this word prayer here is deesis. Deesis. And it means a petition, a request, a supplication. He said, ye also helping together by prayer. Now this prayer here Deasis, in this account, he's referring to the prayer of the Corinthians for him. He said, ye also helping together by prayer for us. Well, who are they going to pray to for Paul? Well, they can only pray to God for help for Paul, right? So in this instance, Deasis means prayer to God, does it not? I, th- I think it's it would be difficult to argue that this is not prayer to God here. It's just prayer to God as a petition or a, uh, a submittal for a specific purpose, which is basically a supplication. 
there's a difference in prayer and supplication. We're going to get into the details and the nuts and bolts of that in this when we study prayer in this dispensation. But remember, right now, we're still in the kingdom dispensation. And he says, ye also helping together by prayer, deesis, for us, that the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. There was many that were praying and many that were helping and things were being given. Uh, I believe physical things to help them through their to help them through life. He said there was a, a place or two where it got so rough that just even daily life was hard. We wondered if we'd be better off just dying. But he said in, in 11, ye also helping together by prayer, they assist for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He said, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in this world and more abundantly to you. Our walk has been toward you, he says. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end. And he says in 14, and we'll stop on, on this particular one today at this verse. He says, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. The day of the Lord was still at hand when you read Second Corinthians. The hope, that's why... Uh, whoever wrote the notes, and it's probably Welch, the notes there in the beginning of Second Corinthians uh, point out that the hope here hasn't changed from First Corinthians to Second Corinthians. We're still talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord. The kingdom was the the heavenly city coming down, and them having heavenly bodies to be able to inhabit the heavenly city. That was their hope. That was the only hope that was there at this time. The church, the body of Christ, the hope of being part of Christ's body in the heavenlies has not even been made known at this point. It's still a mystery. It's still a secret. It's still hid in God. It hasn't been revealed at this point. So turn with me for the second part of our study today. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 5. Interesting chapter. Paul builds, I believe, on his resurrection truth that he put forth in 1 Corinthians 15. He builds on that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because evidently there were still some doubts. Now, I'm going to read all 21 verses of this chapter, and I've got about, looks like maybe half an hour to do that. But And, and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to take the remaining part of our time today to look at chapter 5, because the world today has a lot wrong, I believe, with regard to chapter 5, especially verse 8. Verse 8 of chapter 5 is no doubt in Ronnie's mind, and this doesn't have a lot to do with prayer, but it does have a lot to do with resurrection and people's understanding of life hereafter. 
and the life that is to come in Christ and what the different hopes are for the various dispensations that we run across in the Scripture as we go through it. 2 Corinthians 5.8, in my opinion, I've heard it misquoted from pulpits by well-meaning preachers all my life. And they misquote it just about every time they say it by leaving out words. And it usually is at a funeral or has to do with uh, their view of uh, an immortal soul for man. But they continually uh, misquote this particular verse. And like I say, you normally hear the misquote take place at a funeral because they love to talk about they love to kind of talk about it, but they love to talk about it by leaving uh, words out of it and making these verses to say what they want them to say per their tradition other than what they really say according to the Scripture. And so, well, Ronnie, you, you're kind of digging a hole and stepping out on a limb there a little bit. Well, that's fine. That's what this, that's what Bible studies are all about. And if there's anybody under the hearing of my voice, you don't have to agree with me. But what I'm going to read you and, and remind you that I did not write this book. <laughs> You've heard me do that before. Ronnie McCurry did not write the Bible. I'm merely pointing out some things and trying to put back in the words that preachers love to leave out because they mean something. We have to take the Scripture at face value at what it says. So once you do your digging, you take your concordance, and you straighten out the words, you better take what it says at that point. And if it appears to contradict somewhere, then you've got a lot of study to do. Because let me tell you something about this word. It's an error, and it's perfect. There are no errors in this scripture. Men have dug and looked and slung rocks for centuries to no avail. There's still, there's still no errors. There's still no contradictions in this scripture that we have, in the canon of scripture that we have. There's no contradictions. If you think there is a contradiction, then you are coming up short with understanding. That's that's the problem. And I call them apparent contradictions. Well, this appears to contradict. Well, then you got to start rightly dividing. Who was it written to? Why was it written? Who wrote it? What was the purpose of the writing? Those kind of questions that preachers rarely take the time to stop and ask. And I'm not saying that to be mean to them. I'm just saying it like it is. A lot stand for a traditional point of view more than they stand for the truth of the Scripture. And that's plain as I know how to put it. Some not meaning to. I think I, I truly believe that most of them do it ignorantly. They just don't know. Not that I'm any great smart thing, because obviously if I can find these things, it's pretty easy to find if you'll let the Spirit help you and just believe what the Scripture says. And I'm not trying to take our prayer study and turn it into a resurrection study or a state of the dead study, but as it comes along, we're going to deal with it. Because it has a lot to do with the context of the word prayer in this verse. So I'm going to read the entire chapter of First Corinthians 5, or so. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 21. Well, I want you to note the word pray in verse 20. It's deami. 
Again, it's not prosukamai, it's not prosuke, but deamai. It means fervent prayer or fervent uh, beseechment, a supplication, a request. It virtually means, one's the noun, one's the verb, virtually means a petition, a request, or a supplication. So let's read. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul begins this because of what he says in the last few verses, I believe, of, verse, of chapter 4. Amen. He says for, and if you read 16 through 18, and let's just start there. Tony, I know you hate it when I do that. But I believe, I believe four, chapter 4 leads into chapter 5. And I believe what Paul told them in 1 Corinthians 15 came back to mind as he was saying, as he was writing or penning the last few verses of chapter 4. He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but look, uh, but at the things which are not seen, he says, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And what he wanted to point out to them was their body eternal in the heavens that they have never seen. Did you know that? He had already alluded to these bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, well, some will say, what bodies do they come forth with? He said, well, there's some bodies that are terrestrial and some bodies are heavenly. And the glory of the terrestrial is one and the glory of the heavenly is the other. Well, why would earthly people need a heavenly body to live on the earth? Because there was a city prepared for them in heaven that will come down and sit right on this earth. That's why. With their new body. With, and they'll need that new body to inhabit that heavenly city. It tells you in 5.1 exactly It's why. not that hard to get, y'all. If you just let the scripture speak. But now you got to leave it in the dispensation in which it's intended. Let's read. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, Paul says, For we know, and if you just ignore the chapter headings, you can go right into 5 out of 4. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, cataluo, thrown down and broken down completely, this tent, dissolved, this tent we live in, he said, We know. Paul is not... He's not wishy-washy on this. He's got it straightened out. He's trying to fix these people that he's writing to. He says, listen, for we know. We're not speculating on this. We're not guessing about this. We're not throwing out some wild ideas about this. We know these things, he said. We know that if our earthly house, this tent we live in, this tabernacle, of this tabernacle were kataluo. I love the word. It means to be completely dissolved. Like you take an Alka-Seltzer and put it in a cup of water. 
completely broken down, and you can't even see it anymore. It is so dissolved that it's mixed in with the liquid. That's what this word means. If this earthly body is dissolved, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Many references to this body going back to that dirt. And it's not that hard to, if you've ever buried anything and dug it back up, you can figure that out. Well, you can't find it anymore. Why not? Well, it, it sort of went back to the dust from which it came. The body did. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands or not manufactured, eternal in the heavens. What? You mean if I lose this fleshly body, I've got a brand new one somewhere? That's what these Corinthians were probably saying. And the answer is yes. Paul said we know this. We're not guessing here. That's not manu that made not made with hands means not manufactured. Eternal in the heavens, there's a body, a spiritual body, or a heavenly body, or a terrestrial body. There's some kind of body, right? There's a body of the terrestrial, and there's the body of the heavenly. Made for where we're going. To be. Wherever your wherever your hope is destined, that's where you get the body for. Not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this or in this old body, this body of flesh, in this body we groan. Boy, do we. I groan a lot. And I hear other people who groan a lot. And a lot of it's for good reason. There's a lot of suffering out there. Amen. Whether it be mental, physical, spiritual, there's a lot of suffering. Sin has brought us the suffering. Congratulations. We are where we are because of the failure of Adam, failure of Eve. In this body, in this sinful body, we groan, earnestly desiring. You see that? We would desire, we want to be clothed upon with our house, which is from, or ek, that's the word ek, out from heaven. We groan in this body because we want to be in the other body, which is much better, Paul says. We earnestly groan to be in that new body. Oh, man, wouldn't that be nice, be Paul clothed, says. Yeah. Be clothed upon. To be clothed upon, if you put on your clothes, you're putting on another body. He said, if so, verse 3, if so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Oh, wait a minute. That's a whole new twist to this. So the person can be found naked, or the person can have an earthly body, or evidently the person can have a heavenly body. And the heavenly body could actually be, in some cases, a terrestrial body, right? Right. I mean, if you boil everything down that Paul has told them, and you're trying to understand it from the point of view of a Corinthian, then that's the sum of what you can understand. All you can understand is what Paul has already told you, of what your hopes and, and prospects of the new body is. That's all you can understand. 
But now we got this naked state here, which is interesting. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Let's see if we get any more information out of what he says. He says, for we that are in this tabernacle, in this body, do groan, being burdened. Boy, are we ever. Burdened with sin. Burdened with the daily cares of whatever it is we care for. Not for that we would be unclothed. We don't want to be in that naked state, which would be dead with a dissolved body, evidently, but clothed upon. That mortality, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, a new word, mortality. You telling me I'm mortal? Sure. I thought I just died and floated right on off to heaven to be with God at that very moment. That's not, that don't sound very immortal here, what we're reading, y'all. And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm trying to point out how plain these words are, but how un, how unimportant they seem to those who have a particular traditional doctrine. That's all I'm trying to point out. This dust body we got. We have a dust body. You're exact made from the dust of judgment, Larry used to say. Right. It can you can be a living soul, you can be a dead soul, depending on whether God's life is in you or not in you. But that life does not have any conscious or existence on its own outside of a body, y'all. That's all I'm trying to get get to be plain. He said for we that are in this tabernacle, verse 4, do groan being burdened. And we're not burdened for that, that we would be unclothed. We don't want to be unclothed or found naked. But clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. So you mean if I put on this new body, that swallows up my mortality? That's sort of what he's saying. So let's get this straight. We who are the people can be clothed upon with either a mortal body or an immortal body. Depending on where you are and when you are. Let's read on. He said, Now he that hath wrought us for the self-same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. This goes back to Paul saying in verse 18 of chapter 4, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. You have the earnest, the promise, the seal of God, Paul's telling these Corinthians. This God that has wrought us for the self, the, he has wrought us for the self same thing as God. And he has given unto us the earnest, the promise, the seal of the Spirit. He said when they were wrought was when they became believers under Paul's gospel, that which he was preaching. And he says, now that you have that, you are sealed. You have that earnest of the Spirit, the promise, the sealing. It's like a down payment of the Spirit. He said, now, now get the logic here in six. Therefore, we are always confident. See that word confident? Don't forget it. 
Paul says, because of what I've just told you, we are always confident. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, in this earthly, fleshly body, we are absent from the Lord. Because our transformation hasn't happened yet. You were born of your mother and father. You received, the, and this is what he's telling the Corinthians. You were born of your mother and father into sin. You were wrought by that self-same power to have the earnest of the Spirit. So you have the promise of resurrection. So he says we are confident in that, knowing that while we have that promise and that earnest, and we are at home in this body, that we are absent from the Lord. That's a fact. I'm sitting here with you people. I am not with the Lord right now. I'm in the same state the Corinthians was in. I, too, have a promise, the earnest, the sealing of the Spirit, but I haven't seen the fulfillment of that yet. And neither had they at this point. Neither had they. Because Paul says it. We're absent from the Lord. But he's confident, knowing that while we're home in this body, in this earthly body, we're absent from the Lord. He says, for we walk, it goes back to faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We can see the promise of what we got in what God says. That's faith. Substance and evidence. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 8. And I hate to preach on this, but this gets me worked up. It does every time I read it. Paul says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, is that what that verse says? That's how I hear it quoted over and over and over again. Well, Ronnie, what does this got to do with prayer? <laughs> well, we're getting to that. Bear with me. You can't expect me to go through 2 Corinthians 5 without preaching about this. Because I'm going to do it every time. Paul does not say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You've not only changed words around, but you've left nine words out of this verse when you do that. I've counted it over and over and over again. That is not what this verse says. Paul says, we are still confident, I say, and willing rather. You see that? There is no time implied here. It does not mean that the minute that you're absent from the body that you are immediately present with the Lord. That is not in any way what this verse says. And if you twist it to say that, you're not being honest with yourself or whoever you're talking to. You are lying to them. It does not say that. There is no time element to 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Any way, shape, or form. None. We're confident, I say. Paul, he's just as confident here as he was in verse 6. He's confident that while we're in the old body, we're absent from the Lord. Here in verse 8, he's saying, we're confident, I say, and I'm willing rather to be absent from this old body and to be present with the Lord. Well, that means he would have had to put on the other body by what he's already said. Right? 
Right. That's what that means. He's saying, hey, I'd rather. I'm willing, rather, to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. But he knows that puts him in a naked state. And without that new body, guess what? You don't get there. you got to have a body one way or the other. Even the spirit beings have a body. They have a spiritual body. Which I believe personally is composed mostly of electrical energy. That's just me. We are confident, I say. Let me read it to you the way it's supposed to be said. We are confident, I say. Paul says, still confident. And willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor. That's why we labor, Paul says. That whether present here in this earthly body or absent from this earthly body. Or naked. Or even naked, we may be accepted of the Lord. Why is it important to be accepted of the Lord? Because if you're not, you don't get your new body, y'all. You see how easy this is if you just leave it the way God wrote it and quit changing the words around? It's not hard. For we must all appear, and he's writing this to believers. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There were going to be gain uh, rewards gained and there were going to be rewards lost. This has nothing to do with the salvation of the ones being questioned here. All the believers must appear before the judgment seat of Christ because in this dispensation, you remember when Peter says that your sins may be forgiven? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord? Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. There's going to be a little more information on that. There's going to be some judgment meted out at the judgment seat of Christ and whether you had done good or bad was going to determine the level of your rewards. I don't know what those rewards are. God does. I do know the the, the useless works, as, as the Lord said, would be burned up as hay and stubble. But the good works as precious stones. They would withstand the fire. Knowing therefore the terror, the fear of the Lord, verse 11, we persuade men, but we're made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. Remember, the day of the Lord is a great and terrible day. It's the day of Old Testament prophecy. Well, you, know, you heard me say this before. A lot of people say, boy, I, I wish the Lord would come back today. I don't have a clue what they're talking about. You better be ready. Don't have a clue. He said, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may be, uh, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. He said, for whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, 
It is for your cause. Paul's basically telling them, I'm telling you all this for you and that we do everything we do for you. He said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Well, that makes sense. If Christ died for you, you should live for him. Makes perfect sense to me. He says, wherefore henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. We don't even look at you as if you're after the flesh. He says, we're looking forward of that. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth, Know we him no more. They don't know Christ after the flesh now. They know him after his resurrection. He is the resurrected Lord of glory. Lord Jesus Christ of glory. And that's how Paul looked at him. We're getting to verse 20. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, including the body after you die. When you die and go to that naked state, he's telling these Corinthians, doesn't matter how long you're dead, your faith in Christ will give you that new body. All things have become new. That goes back even to what Paul learned in the with the uh, with this mystery truth too. Oh yeah, same. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels there, yeah. no doubt about it. He said in verse 18, "And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ." These believers were reconciled to Himself, to God by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us. The ministry of the reconciliation. There should be a the in there. To wit, that God was in Christ. See, he's Paul's even going through the process here by which these bodies become available. And it's only by belief in Christ. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And then verse 20. Now then, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. He says, we pray you, day am I, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled, Unto God. He said, We're basically, we pray you by Christ's sake. Be ye reconciled unto God. For he hath made him to be sin. He literally made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we, well, let me read, let me reread that. He hath made him to be sin, Christ. He made Christ to be sin for us. He, Christ, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see how the equation works? Christ took the sin, and that's how we were reconciled unto God. God accepted that one gift, 
that one sacrifice once for all that that we may be reconciled back to him. And I know I keep saying we, and we're reading out of the we're reading out of the previous dispensation. But guess what? A lot of this still applies to us. Amen. I mean, not from this dispensation, but it, the same principles are put forth under our dispensation. Right. And we have the hope that we have. I'm sorry to go over. I get I get kind of wound up in Second Corinthians five, and if I got preachy, I apologize. But I, I get I do get worked up over Second Corinthians five. <laughs> I just apologize for that. So bow with me, and we'll close. I'm going a little over. Father, we do thank you for this day, and for those that have come this way. We pray that that were blessed by what they heard. Uh, Father, we pray that the things that were said and done were said and done according to your will and purpose and that they would be used accordingly, Father, by those that, that heard them according to your Holy Spirit in the way that you intended. Father, thank you for all that we have and for that which we hold today. Thank you for Christ and for his blood. Be with those, Father, in our group and the world about that need a touch from you. Bless them, keep them, hold them in your Hold them in your hand and in your will, for it's in Christ's name today we humbly pray. Amen.